This week on Buffy the Gilmore Slayer. We're using the horses. Welcome to Buff the Gilmore Slayer. I'm Brian Morris. And I'm Stacey Kulo. And we're both comedians. And a couple. And I've never seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one of Brian's favorite shows. And I've never seen Gilmore Girls, one of Stacey's favorite shows. So we're watching both shows together, all seven seasons, comparing them as we go. And this week we watch season six, episode 18 of both shows, starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Entropy. As well as Gilmore Girls, the real Paul Anka. It's funny that the Gilmore Girls title is like really only about the cold open. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty big cold open though. Yeah. And Gilmore titles sometimes are about not huge events in the episode. Buffy's, you know, it's just about how everything's falling apart, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's not really about anything specific. It's just things are getting bad. Well, not for everybody. No. Some people are making magic uh, work again, but not magic. (laughs) No, literal magic. No, that would actually make things bad again. We'll dive into all that. So, guys, we know that a lot of you discovered us on TikTok, but lately I feel like our TikToks are not getting as many views as they used to, and I think TikTok is messing with us. I don't understand. It doesn't really make any sense with, like, the amount of followers we have and, like, no one is seeing our TikToks. So, if you are a TikTok user and you're like, hey, I don't really see their videos on TikTok anymore, just, you know, search Gilmore Slayer and give a couple videos a like or a comment just to sort of remind TikTok that you're interested in us. Because I know you are. I know so many of you came across our videos and found our podcast that way. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I think TikTok's like messing with us for some reason or they just, I don't really understand their algorithm. But I, I'm pretty sure that if some people sort of jumpstart it, you'll at least see our stuff again. Yeah. I think we have some good TikToks. Yeah. We also have some dumb TikToks. We do. Sometimes we don't really know. We just do something. We did admittedly not post quite as many recently because we had some. We were traveling, yeah. so it was hard right. to like do as much. But we're going to try to get back into it again. We did some fun stuff with our parents. Yeah. So yeah, if you're like, yeah, I did used to see them. You still can. They're still there. We're still making them. You're just not seeing them. And I, I want you to. Please save our TikToks. <laughs> with a donation of 1,000 views a month. You can save a TikTok. Honestly, just like in one of our TikToks, I think we'll tell TikTok you want to see another one. Yeah. Okay. We also have a five-star reviewer to thank. Oh, hello. It wasn't, like, sexual. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, that's it. Hello, five-star review. What are you doing? Thank you so much to Shallon R. Yeah, I'm reading the five-star review right now. You guys make my genitals so turned on. It sounds very sexual to me. It sounds like a computer tried to write sexy talk. (laughs) My genitals are engorged. (laughs) I can't pick the shapes. I don't recognize shapes or motorcycles in pictures or stop signs in pictures. But I'm learning. Anything else new with you? It's my birthday this week. That's true. Your birthday will be over when this comes out. Yeah. Currently, it has not happened. I'm not super pumped about the age, so we're not going to talk about it. It's not a big one. I mean, it's not a big one, but it's like, hey, guess what? Next year, it's a big one, so be sad about it now. I feel like they can guess your age based on clues, but um, I feel like this is an age where people won't believe you how old you are. Yeah, it's just because I'm so young looking. And if I do look young, it's only because I don't go in the sun ever. So that's <laughs> why. No, it's just an age a lot of people say they are. 
forever. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm really, honestly, I am excited for Thursday because I'm going to get to eat whatever I want. So I'm excited about that. Usually I don't let him eat what he wants. No, I mean, you are going to buy me food. It's, we always buy each other food on our birthdays. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get chicken. And Brian's is always chicken. Mine yeah. is generally Italian. Yeah. That's not always chicken. You took me out for um, Japanese ones. Yes, we did hibachi. I surprised you with a group of friends. Yeah, it was a great gift. You were an um, amazing girlfriend that year. But ever since then, it's been downhill. <laughs> I didn't mean it to sound that way. Well, there was like some COVID times. Yeah. Where hibachi was a no-no. No, I'm very happy with the chicken. <laughs> Man, did the hibachi industry really suffer? You can't really like do that out on a sidewalk. Yeah, that's tough. Maybe they just turn the heat up super hot to burn all your germs. I don't know about where you guys live, but New York restaurants, like, were pretty much shut down for a while. Unless you had outdoor seating. Yeah, people in Florida are like, shut down? What? <laughs> anyway, let's get going. People want to know about what happened to Buffy. Okay, let's do it. So, Stacy, please tell us all about Entropy. So, this episode is about uh, Anya and, and Spike, really, like, yeah. commiserating about their failed relationships. It's basically about the three main original child characters. Dealing with their relationship drama. Yeah. In one way or another. Some good, some bad. So the trio now has four wheelers with giant spikes on them. And they are chasing after some vampires who have a disc that the trio wants. One of the vampires throws a tree branch that causes a whole four-wheeler pileup. And the vampire starts to get away until Buffy intercepts them and one of them drops the disc. While Buffy and the vampire are distracted, the trio sneaks up and takes the disc. They run off with it. I want to talk about this scene a lot. Actually, so the stuff with Buffy and Spike, I kind of really like. But the trio chasing the vampires is nonsense. First off, they're like, he's going to get away. Like, hey, vampires, here's an idea. Like, climb any fence or go into the woods. They can't follow you. Yeah, at first I was like, they're on motorized vehicles. How can they not catch them? Vampires are maybe fast, but I don't know. They're still on foot. But they are, like, in a graveyard. So if they're, like, weaving amongst the graves, the four-wheelers maybe couldn't really follow them. Yeah, but also, like, the four-wheelers do have spikes in the front, but, like, I feel like that's pretty easy to avoid. I almost feel like if you hit one with your bike, it would hurt you, too. Yeah, I mean, like... Like, you'd flip over. Also, a vampire could just, like, if it's gonna hit you, just, like, dive on the ground, and, like, yeah, you get run over by a four-wheeler, but you're a vampire, you're fine. Yeah. But then the trio, they all crash and fall out of their fucking four-wheelers because they're idiots. That was, like, you guys are just the three stooges. Yeah. Uh, so that was all so, so, so silly. But I like this stuff with Spike and Buffy. I like this little scene. Yes. During the kerfuffle, Spike shows up and he's like on top of this wall around the graveyard. And he just like hoists one of the vampires up by the neck. That was a fun visual. Yeah. He's just sort of holding him there like, you know, like, I could take care of this one if you want. Yeah. He's like, if you tell your friends about us. But he's like, nah, I'm good. But go ahead. Tell them if you want. I tried to kill them last week and they didn't seem to have a problem with it. So. <laughs> They'll probably be able to handle me sleeping with you. So she walks away. Spike drops the vampire. He's like, okay, so why won't you sleep with me again? The vampire's like, what? (laughs) Thinks he's talking to him, I guess. He's also like, you're sleeping with the Slayer? What's going on? (laughs) Yeah, I guess I didn't read it that way. You're probably right. But that was also very funny. Yeah. Buffy kills the vampire, continues to walk away, and tells Spike she's not going to sleep with him because she doesn't love him. He's like, sure you don't. Meanwhile, Xander's chilling on the floor of his apartment, having a beer, listening to some sad music. Is it country? You asked that, but is it because he's listened to country in the past? Yeah, when he was rejected by Buffy, he said he was going to go home and listen to country, the music of pain. So I thought maybe 
It actually. felt like a like alternative to me, like indie alternative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't look up what the song was, but no. But he decides to go out, and when he walks past the bushes, we see Anya spying on him. Where's he going? How long has she been spying on him? We'll see. Willow's still trying to make stalking Tara after class happen, which Tara calls her on. She's like, I saw you see me kissing that girl on the side mouth, who, by the way, is just a friend. They're like super nervous around each other, but Willow asks her out and they decide to have a coffee tomorrow. Things are heating back up. Seems like. Buffy decided it's time to try spending time with Dawn, so she takes her shopping. By the way, there's another street in Sunnydale? Yeah, what? (laughs) It's like an outdoor mall or something. They're like clearly in LA somewhere, but it's funny that they actually went to a different location. However, shopping isn't going so well because Dawn's shoplifted from every store in the land, apparently, and can't show her face in any of them. It's a little unclear why she can't go to the stores. She says she got caught stealing, but doesn't specify if she means, like, by Buffy or by the stores. Well, I think it was clear that, because Buffy in the next part says, like, you're paying them all back. Yeah. Or you have. So I think she went to each one and apologized every time she could. Because she does say she's returned some of the items, so maybe she can't go to those places, but didn't necessarily get caught, like, when she shoplifted. Right, yeah. I don't think she got caught. She had to return it all. Buffy suggested the pet store, since Dawn hasn't stolen from there, but Dawn's got some moral qualms with pet stores now. Buffy's like, come on, you used to love the pet store. And I actually really love Dawn's response. She's like, yeah, when I was in my fives and sixes. (laughs) Just like a funny thing for a young person to say. Jonathan is reluctantly working on a potion using the disc they got. He's clearly unhappy to be working with Warren still, but it sounds like whatever they're doing is going to make them a lot of money and then they can go their separate ways. They did say it was like a heist though, right? Like that was, that's canon? Um, I don't remember if that's what they said, but yes, they're doing something like that. Okay, well, I think they mentioned that like briefly in one episode. I don't know how else I would know that. I don't really know what happens with them at all. I feel like Warren is being so clearly evil in this scene where Doyle's all like, this is the last thing and then I'm leaving. And Warren's all like, yeah, last thing and then you leave and everything's fine. You could trust Daddy Warren. <laughs> like, I'm like, do not trust this dude. He killed his ex-girlfriend. Which Jonathan brings up. Yeah. Andrew privately asks Warren how much longer before Jonathan's done. And then Warren asks him how long until their milk expires, which is just his way of saying it won't be much longer. But Andrew goes on this whole rant about specifically when they got their milk and when it might be that it expires. Warren gets annoyed with him, but like the purpose of your question wasn't actually super clear, Warren. Jill. Yeah. Like that's a really weird way to be like, I don't know, like a week. Yeah. Xander comes home to his apartment to find Anya there. He tries to explain himself. He admits what he did wasn't cool, and he tells her that he wants to try to make up for it. He keeps telling her how much he loves her. She seems receptive to this, but then he says he wishes he had just said something earlier instead of leaving her at the altar. She's like, okay, so you knew you didn't want to get married before the wedding, and you still don't? So now she's mad. He's like, well, uh, maybe someday when we're ready. I get why she's upset. He proposed, immediately had doubts, never shared them with her till it was too late, and now isn't really being upfront about what his doubts are. He says he wants things to be like they were before they were engaged, which is fair. Not everyone wants to be married, but she seems to really want to be, and he's not communicating to her why he doesn't want to. Yeah, because it seems like I don't want to be married because I'm afraid I'm going to be like a bad dad or partner, but like marriage doesn't make you a bad dad or partner. Yeah, he did at the wedding say that, I suppose, but I don't know. Something's missing here. Just being in a relationship for a long time is going to turn you into this person, if that's going to happen. Yeah, if you, like, continue living together, that's no different than just being married. 
Yeah, so his like, I don't know, it's just, it bothers me so much. Like, the, I think there's totally good criticisms of marriage and good reasons to not want to get married. But Xander's not saying any of those or even indicating that he knows what those might be or has like a feeling. He's just like, I don't want to be like my dad. So let's just stay together and not get married. That's not. I guess if he does become his dad, if they're not married, it's an easier out. But I suppose. Not really. When you're living together, your lives are pretty intertwined. Yeah. I just wish the show did a better job of showing us what's going on with Xander. Like, is there actually an issue or should we just be like, Xander, you're being an idiot? Because I yeah. feel like we're supposed to empathize with Xander. And, like, maybe we're supposed to think that he's confused, but we get it. But, like, I don't get it. Because marriage doesn't turn you one way or another. Or, like, having a kid doesn't, you know, if she really wanted a kid and he's like, I don't want a kid, I just want to be with you. That would be understandable because a kid really does change your life. Yeah, that's true. But, like, a ring doesn't change your life necessarily. So it's just kind of confusing what he's so upset about. And if he was just very discombobulated and confused, that's fine. But then somebody, one of his friends, should be, like, asking him, like, but why don't you really want to get married? The show doesn't really explain this in a way that's satisfactory. And he's saying he wants to someday. So, like, right. what's going to change? What, what is going to make him ready? Exactly. And, like, okay, let's say you're not ready and you jump into it. But if you don't have a kid right away, like, what? what's the harm? Like, you can just be married until you're ready, I guess. She turns away from him, puts on her demon face, and says, And I wish you were never born. Remember? She was a wish-granting vengeance demon. Seems like she is again. Cue music. Xander's about to disappear. No, Xander still appears to have been born, though. Anya's confused. What? She keeps making all kinds of wishes of various harm that could befall him. Like, his intestines get ripped apart inside his gut. He's like, they are. She's like, really? Right now? Does it hurt? (laughs) Yeah, it's really funny. Because she says it so sincerely. Yeah. He, of course, meant it metaphorically, feeling sick to his stomach for hurting her. She also mentions his beady eyes, which is fun because she has called him that before and once mm-hmm. more with feeling. So she barges out of there to figure out what's going on with her powers. She meets Halfrek the next day for coffee. Halfrek's like, what? You're dumb. You can't make the wish yourself. So she's going to have to find someone else to wish ill upon Xander, it seems. Meanwhile, Buffy is making way too many carbs for Dawn. <laughs> she's got pancakes. She offers her cereal. She makes a ton of toast, which is not a side for pancakes. No, what? <laughs> Don't need both. She's like, we should hang out tonight, order pizza, rent a movie. Also, let's hang out this weekend. Dawn's like, if this is about how you tried to have me murdered in our basement last week, it's really no big deal. People try to murder me all the time. I'm used to it. I just love that I was getting some attention from you. (laughs) But Dawn doesn't want to hang out with Buffy at home. She wants to go out and do Buffy stuff, like patrol. Buffy's like, girl, what? But Dawn says, come on, you guys went patrolling all the time when you were my age, which I've been saying. Fair point, Dawn. Buffy says that's true, but technically you're one and a half. (laughs) I thought that was funny, yeah. Also, the answer is definitely no. You're not patrolling. That's kind of the end of that for this episode. I thought Dawn was going to like sneak out and try to patrol at some point. but It's interesting because I I 100% see Dawn's point of view because it's like you guys are doing this and I'm like hanging out with the Slayer. It's like you're like the Terminator. Like you can protect me. So I should be able to go out with you. And also, like, things are constantly trying to kill me anyway. So, like, how is this any different, really? And Buffy's like, no, you can't. But I get Buffy's point of view just because, like, she's been instilled by the monks to protect the key. So, like, she probably just has some, like, not that it's necessarily irrational, irrational, but, like, even if she can logically understand that Dawn would be safe and it makes sense to take her out, like, she's probably like, yeah, but, like, my instincts are to protect you at all costs. So I see her point of view. I also feel like Buffy sort of resisted the idea of them going patrolling when they were younger, too. 
like her non-magic friends. Oh, yeah. Or like she was aware that it was dangerous and didn't want to put people in harm's way. Right. But then like they also have done it a ton. Dawn's like killed one vampire. Right. Willow and Tara are on their coffee date. Willow is catching Tara up on what happened in the episode she wasn't in. <laughs> it's true. She's like telling her about the double meat palace demon and a couple other ones. And then Anya comes up and totally cock blocks him. Is that is that the right terminology? You know, I I thought about using a different word, but cooch block. Can, cooch block is, is good. Yeah. Is that too okay? Also, her hair is not good, by the way. Yeah. What? Like the curls are cute, but it doesn't really work with this haircut. She's got this like very layered long bob, and I, I don't know that the curls work with that as well. No, it's weird. Emma Caulfield is a beautiful woman, but her hair is just not working in this episode. She thinks that because they're lesbians, they surely must hate all men. So she's trying to get them to shit talk Xander and accidentally make a wish. This is actually intercut with Anya trying to get Dawn to do the same thing at the magic shop, who's there to work off her debt. And also, she's talking to Buffy on her front porch. This is like a montage, and it's got some like sort of silly, like, we're doing a funny thing right now music. This didn't work for me as a particularly funny thing, personally. Yeah, the scene is a little weird, because none of them know she's a demon, I don't think, but she's being super obvious. Like, if they didn't know by the end of this, they definitely should, and they're dumb for not guessing it. Yeah, she's on the porch with Buffy for, like, a while, and Buffy's dialogue, I feel like, is the same every time we cut back to her. She's like, Xander knows he messed up. Yeah, and her dialogue is almost written like she knows what's up, because she says stuff like, I can't, Xander's my friend, as if she means, like, I couldn't make a wish about him, but she might just mean that even though she admits what he does was wrong, she's not willing to shit-talk him. I think that's how we're supposed to take her dialogue. Right. But it, it does almost read like, I'm not going to make this wish for him to get tortured. I feel like Willow should definitely suspect Anya's a demon, considering she got a vengeance demon offer from De Hoffren. De Hoffren yeah. was at the wedding, and Anya's been missing for a good chunk of time. Yeah. Maybe Anya's like weird lesbian talk just confused Willow enough to be like, what are you saying? What? And that stood out more than the demon stuff. Yeah, her angle with Willow and Tara was like, Xander must like watching lesbian porn. That makes you mad, right? It was weird. And Dawn even says, I never use that word anymore, meaning wish. I thought that worked and that was fun because it was like, yeah, she wouldn't. Yeah, but like Anya's actively trying to get her to say wish. And Dawn says she knows there are active vengeance demons out there, but doesn't suspect Anya. Yeah. Even though Anya's like practically begging her to make a wish. Totally. So, I don't know. I feel like someone should suspect, or between the three of them, they should be talking later because they live together and being like, was Anya super weird to you today? And Anya's not being, like, subtle about, like, trying to set up a wish. She'll be like, don't you kind of wish that Xander's insides were, like, exploding all over the place and he was dying forever? Like, that's not a thing you say, really. That's just not how a sentence is formed. Right. There's a funny moment with Buffy where Anya brings up how many guys have messed with Buffy's heart over the years. Buffy's like, whoa, guys, there've only been four, three, uh, th three guys, <laughs> just three. That's barely plural. Obviously, for those at home keeping score, that's she slept with Angel, she slept with Riley, she slept with Parker, and then she accidentally just admitted that there was another one, which is Spike. Yeah. Also, Parker was second. We don't know that. We do know that. We do <laughs> know that. So for various reasons, no one's making a wish. Xander shows up when Anya's talking to Buffy. She's like, congrats, all your friends still love you, despite you being an asshole. Buffy stops Xander from going after her, tells him to give her some space. Xander's frustrated with the situation, so he kicks Buffy's lawn gnome that apparently has not always been there. And they discover a camera inside. Before we go any farther, can we talk about Xander's, like, whole outfit and, like, look? I guess so, yeah. 
I'm sorry, this season, he just looks weird. Like, last season, dude was, like, jacked. I can't remember if it was last season or the one before, but there was definitely a period of time where he was very buff. Season five, there was a scene where you were like, oh, Xander's looking good. That's right. It was his hair, though. Well, his hair, but, like, his tight muscles on his arms were, like, Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Wow, all right. Um, I can just wait a little bit if you need. No, I'm good. But, like, Nicholas Brandon has just become kind of pudgy. And, like, I feel like the show is, like, trying to hide it by, like, putting, like, really bulky clothes on him. And it just looks bad. I'm not trying to shame him for being pudgy. I just feel like the show's trying to hide it. And his outfits just look like just – he's got so much mass to his outfits. Yeah, if you're a Pod Meets World listener, I would say it's too much shirts. Too, okay, I don't know what that means, but. <laughs> Some might. It almost looks like he's wearing multiple outfits underneath there. Yeah, he's got, like, layers with jackets and button-ups and stuff. Also, I – Nicholas Brennan, he's a fine actor. He's just not as good as the, uh, like, Sarah Michelle Gellar or Allison Hannigan. So when he's, like, distraught, it's just like, sure, this is serviceable, but I don't empathize with you as much as I would other actors. I thought he did a better job in this episode than he did in the wedding episode. Yes, yes, agreed. Like, I believed him in the scene where he was, like, with Anya in his apartment. Yeah. More so than I did in the wedding episode. Yeah. But I just his whole look this season is just like, I don't know, I just, I don't love it. It's just like this bulky mass, but like a little baby man in it. Anyway, those are my shallow fucking thoughts about Xander. Xander assumes that Spike was the one that placed the camera, which honestly isn't a crazy assumption. Won't be the first time he filmed Buffy. So Buffy goes to talk to Spike. I don't think she really thinks it's him, but he's a little offended that she would even accuse him. Yeah. Yes, he does all kinds of bad stuff, but he says the one thing he doesn't do is hurt Buffy. Yeah which is why he's so hurt that she thinks he may have planted the camera. He again tells her that his feelings for her are super real, and she's like, I do believe those feelings are real for you, and I'm sorry I don't feel the same way, but I just don't, and you need to move on. I love this scene. I think this scene is great. I think Sarah Michelle Gellar plays it so well, and like we see growth in Buffy. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I'd love to bang Spike right now, but like I don't. But she's also treating him real. like a, She's treating his emotions as real. Yeah, ever since she's, like, broken up with him, there's been that shift, which is nice. Yeah, she's like, no, I, I am acknowledging this love you have, and I'm not saying it's nothing. I'm just telling you I can't reciprocate it, and you have to move on. When she turns around and says, I know that's not what you want to hear, I feel like that's, like, her really empathizing now with Spike, and more so than just, like, an evil little object she can play with. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I, I'm sorry that I can't tell you what you want to hear. I liked that. I thought this was really great. But he yells at her to get out. Buffy's hair, very cute. Mm-hmm. Perfectly combed, short little ponytail, <laughs> flower in the back, sides wet bangs, adorable. She's doing that like very this time periods, like very light makeup, like a glossy lip. I feel like Gilmore Girls had a phase of that too when it first started. But now Buffy in time is at the point where Gilmore Girls was when it started. Mm-hmm. Later at the magic shop, Anya is venting to Halfrack about how things didn't work out with getting Xander's friends to make a wish. Does Helfrick just live in Sunnydale now? She's always just showing up. I don't understand how she travels or where she lives. Well, she, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess. She can, like, teleport, so. Yeah. So they chat, and Ani realizes she needs to get a wish from someone who doesn't like Xander. Enter Spike, looking for something to numb his emotions. Anya and Helfrick have a little sidebar, because Anya seems to think she can only help women with their wishes, so she's trying to think of a way to make Spike a woman, but... Halfrek points out that sometimes men need a little vengeance too. Sidebar over, Halfrek leaves, and Anya says she thinks Giles left the perfect thing behind to help Spike forget all his troubles. 
and lose his wits enough to be persuaded to help her with her thing. A bottle of whiskey. I feel like when Spike comes in, he's like, I need something to numb the pain or something. It's super unclear what the hell he's talking about. Like, it's not clear they're like, hey, I want uh, a spell so I don't have emotional turmoil over Buffy leaving me. It sounds like, yeah, I got like a gash in my leg that I don't want to feel the pain for anymore. Uh, I guess I assumed he meant some kind of like numbing potion. But a numbing potion wouldn't help you with emotional pain. I don't know. I guess I wasn't confused. But we also know what he's been through. I'm not confused either, but Anya should be. Sure. But I don't even think she was listening that much. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. But, like, Spike just comes in, I just need something to numb the pain. Like, emotional pain? Like, I would never even guess that you would have emotional pain, Spike. Well, she figures out what he needs. They start doing shots. Spike tells Anya all about his Buffy problems without ever actually saying her name, which is super funny because she never asks who he's talking about. Even though the drunker they get, it's actually pretty obvious, I think. Yeah, who else would it be? I mean, Drusilla, I guess, but... She's just really focused on her own stuff and probably doesn't have much empathy for anyone, even under normal circumstances. Right. So it is funny because she's probably, like you said, she's probably not listening to anything he's saying. So it's like, even though it's obviously Buffy, she doesn't care. She's got her own problems she's talking about. Yeah. He always brings it back to his problems too, but he does listen to her about the Xander stuff. Yeah. He does agree he wouldn't mind if something gruesome were to happen to Xander for what he did to her and is down to brainstorm, but she's still got to get him to phrase it as a wish. The drunker they get, the more vulnerable they get, saying how they kind of just wanted to use their respective people at first, but turned into more. Anya says she really let her guard down, acting all happy, singing in the shower, doing her sexy dance. Spike's like, exactly. I mean, I have no dance, but (laughs) he's got to dance. He's got to dance. Meanwhile, at the Summy Res, Willow is tapping into the fiber optic network to figure out who's controlling the camera. She says some mumbo jumbo here. Yeah, this is all. (laughs) Pretty silly. I mean, I bet it's like, I think it does probably all make sense, but we'll talk more about that later. I don't know that it does. She's tapping into the relays to get their feet, whatever. Okay, sure. All right. I don't know why she explained it. I would have just like been fine with her tapping at her computer. I didn't yeah. need like a play-by-play. They say that if it wasn't Spike that placed the camera, they're pretty sure it's got to be the trio. Speaking of which, Jonathan's finished his magic chemistry. They're using the disc to shine a magic beam onto an old map to tell them where they're supposed to go. This is very Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, is it? Have you not seen that? Is I've seen one in Deanna. Yeah, now. you saw this one, yeah. But the magic beam sets the map on fire, so they're distracted by that. And through some computer nonsense, Willow is eventually able to hack into their, I don't know, camera network? Right. And realizes there are other cameras. One pretty much anywhere any of them go. Yeah. Work, school, the bronze. But seriously, what she's doing with the computer is so silly. She's What we see on the screen is like a big target, like a bunch of circles. And there's just like this vertical bar, like scanning back and forth on the target. Like, what, what is she even looking at? Yeah. It's just, There'd be like, like a map or something with like the GPS locations of the cameras. Yeah, I love when shows are like, yeah, computer stuff. Like, none of that makes any sense. So she's trying to pinpoint more camera feeds. She can tell there's more somehow, but can't find them. Now, we know from the episode where the trio was taking turns testing Buffy that there's a camera at the magic box. We also know that Anya and Spike are getting all kinds of tipsy, so I was pretty sure where this was headed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spike and Anya are pretty drunk now. Spike's talking about how he went above and beyond for Buffy. Again, doesn't say her name, obviously. He straight up could. Anya wouldn't know or remember. 
Well, he's, he says, like, I saved the Scoobies a bunch of times, even though I can't stand any of them. But, like, who else would he be saving the Scoobies for? If right. not, what, you know, is it Willow? Like, whatever. <laughs> but Ani's like, I can't stand them either. I hate us. Yeah, that was funny. Everyone's so nice, and no one says what's on their mind. Spike's like, well, you do. And that's why you're the only one I wouldn't bite if I had the chance. That's sweet. That's so sweet. They kind of decide that the Scoobies just can't hang with them because they're all uptight and repressed. But the two of them should have been dead hundreds of years ago, but they're the only ones who are really alive. So they finish off the whiskey. Anya thanks Spike for his listening ear. And she admits she's been approaching this with a vengeful, angry exterior, but she's really having a lot of sadness and doubt that Xander even ever loved her. Spike's like, hey, let me run my fingers through your weird hair and tell you that there's no way even an asshole like Xander couldn't love a woman like you. And that Xander and Buffy are just weak. That's all. Spike gets a little emotional, too, because I think he obviously relates to Anya's feelings of rejection. Right. As he fondles her bottom lip. Where is this going? Yeah, it seems as if things are heading in an intimate direction. Anya asks him if she can see his sexy dance. He kind of just blows past that. But will we see that? Because I, I wouldn't mind checking it out. <laughs> and then uh, sex begins. And it's obviously. <laughs> this is what you say when we have sex. And begins uh, sex, sex begins. Uh... <laughs> and it's obviously only a matter of time until Willow hacks into that camera with her little target. Allison's doing her best to convince us that her random keyboard tapping means anything at all. <laughs> Anya admits this sex is almost exclusively alcohol-fueled, also rebound. But also, they're two very attractive, vulnerable people, and Anya says Spike smells really good. Does vampires stink or not? Yeah. I've got mixed messages this yeah. season. Buffy literally called a vampire stinky for being dead earlier this season. Yeah, Spike must, like, put a lot of cologne on or something. Does he have a shower? We'll never know. An alarm goes off at the trio's house. They know someone has tapped into their camera feed. Spike and Anya are now doing it right on the table. Whoa, says Willow. The trio sees it too. Their ultimate goal, free porn. <laughs> they realize it's Spike. Andrew says, wow, he's so cool. I mean, the girl's hot too. Now, I know you've indicated there are questions about Andrew's sexuality, but I'm not really sure what this is suggesting. Because he doesn't say, like, Spike's hot. I mean, when he says the girl's hot, I feel like that's suggestive that... He wasn't thinking about the girl. So maybe he's like asexual? I mean, I think it's pretty clear he's gay. But he says Spike is cool, not like hot. I suppose. I think it's pretty clear that he doesn't want to say that he's gay to these guys because of like their macho masculine yeah. shit, like specifically Warren. Because it's like, would he then be turned on by a man having sex with a woman? Maybe. Maybe just like turned on by like a confident man. I mean, I like regular porn where there's a man and a woman and I'm not into the man part. So Sure. You heard it here, guys. Brian likes regular porn. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know. I'm not gay, so I, I, I don't know. What They're clearly trying to tell us something about his sexuality. What I will say is that we're never going to dive into Andrew's sexuality in the show. But, like, I think the undercurrent is there to let us know that he's gay. Sure. It's up to your interpretation. Well, we see the camera hidden inside the eyeball of a skull on a shelf. It's so obvious. It is so, there's no way they didn't find this fucking camera. I mean, like, every time we're at the magic shop, someone's dusting, yeah, like so Anya's dusting. Never How dust you, this shelf? It's just a clear camera right in the open. 
The camera on Buffy's lawn was actually pretty obvious, too. Like, it seems crazy to drop a giant lawn ornament in someone's yard and expect them not to notice. To be fair, yeah. she didn't, despite having sex with Spike, like, next to that tree. She also died, so, like, she might just be confused. She's not even running this household that she lives in and pays for anymore. Yeah, like, who mows the lawn? Does anyone? Better be Dawn. No one noticed the lawn ornament? That is a good question. Who is mowing the lawn? Let us know. It's definitely not, I don't do anything all day, Willow. Maybe Xander? Xander would make sense, because if he doesn't live there, he might not suspect anything was weird about it. Yeah. Willow tries to keep Xander from looking at the camera feed, but he sees. Buffy does too. They're not fans. Dawn comes home. They, like, barely censor Dawn from seeing this. I know. They, Willow turns her away and then just, like, lets her take a look. Yeah, she, like, covers her eyes after it's way too late, but then she just, like, looks again and no one stops her. I mean, you can't really see anything. And to be fair, I think Willow's distracted by clocking the fact that Buffy is not into this. Yeah. Buffy's like, shut this shit down. I'm going outside. Xander goes out the front door, leaving it open. Dick move. But after Xander leaves, Willow notices that the weapons chest is open. And we see Xander heading downtown with an axe. Dawn follows Buffy into the backyard. Now, remember last week when Buffy was in her altered state, she let it slip to Dawn that she'd been having sex with vampires that she hates. So Dawn's now put this all together. And I think Willow did too by watching Buffy. Yes. Buffy assures Dawn it's over with Spike, but she didn't tell her or anyone because she wasn't really even in an admitting it to herself mood. Dawn's very understanding about it. But then Willow comes out to let them know that Xander left with the axe. The magic box is just a mess. Spike and Anya are getting dressed. They almost seem to have some regret. Yeah, I feel like they both do. Although I'm surprised that Spike does because he doesn't have a soul. You think it'd be like, whatever. Yeah, it's maybe more Anya, but... It does feel like they both have it. I mean, he still loves Buffy. He probably is worried about her finding out and stuff. I suppose so. I don't know. But Spike nods goodnight and heads outside where he's immediately met with an axe chop. Yeah. Xander gets stuck in the doorframe, so he starts pushing Spike around and punching him. I think he wants to fight, but Spike's not going to fight him back because of the chip. So Xander's about to stake him, but Anya comes outside. Buffy shows up and rips Xander off of him. Xander tells them that they saw the whole thing. They don't really question how much, but Anya's like, it didn't mean anything. I felt bad, and he was just there. Buffy's pissed at Spike for how quickly he moved on, which is actually very unfair of her. She literally told him to move on. Yeah, I know, right? I'm like, what? Xander's obviously very hurt, but Anya also correctly points out that she doesn't really owe him anything. Absolutely. And tells him that he's going to spend his whole life telling stupid jokes so no one will notice he's just a scared, insecure little boy. Oh. Just what he wanted to hear. Do you think it like hurt Joss to write that line? And he's just like, oh, this is what my girlfriend said to me. <laughs> and maybe he didn't write this episode. I don't remember. And then Xander just starts roasting Spike. Yeah. Calling him an evil, soulless thing and how he feels sick because Anya had sex with that. And then Spike says, that was good enough for Buffy. Oh, truth bumps for everyone. Yeah. Xander's like, I didn't want to hear that. I'm just going to go home and pretend I didn't hear about any of this. Buffy's maybe mad at Spike, but really, he didn't do anything wrong. She told him he could tell her friends also to move on. And Spike's just like, well, classic Xander, messing things up again. You know, I wish, and Anya tells him, no, don't wish. Does Spike know she's a demon? I feel like he may have realized in this moment, but I don't know. Yeah, it seems like the fact that she stops him, it's like, yeah, he had to know. I mean, otherwise, this is all weird. She kind of got drunk and aborted her mission, but again, she wasn't really being super subtle about the W word. Yeah. It's interesting that no one finds out in this episode. 
Yeah, it's kind of nonsense. So they go their separate ways, and a song with lyrics starts playing. Very rare. Yeah. Gilmore also ends that way. Weird. But it's not quite over. Willow is studying on her bed. No highlighter this time. And Tara shows up in her doorway, talking about how things fell apart, might never be the same, how it'll take time to fix things and build trust. You can't just fix it with one coffee. It's a long process to figure out if they can still even work, but can we just skip that and can you just be kissing me now? And Willow's like, yes, ma'am. I love avoiding hard conversations. That's my jam. In this very room, specifically. So (laughs) they kiss and I'm sure things are going to go great for them in the following episodes. The end. That's nice. I'm so glad they got back together. Yeah, me too. I'm trepidatious because I feel like something bad's going to happen to Tara. Why do you think that? Oh, just things I've heard and seen. No, they're together and it's great and we've been waiting for it. I really don't know what's going to happen, but I, I've got the vibe that it's not going to go great. Just because you have a vibe doesn't mean nothing. I got good vibes, boo. They're going to be very happy together. For one more episode. <laughs> I'm not trying to spoil anything. I truly don't know what happens. I like this scene a lot. I feel like it was cool. It was a bit of a misdirect because it seems like maybe Tara's going to say, hey, we got to slow stuff down. But then she's like, actually, let's just be together. I like that. Yeah. I thought it was cool. I would say, though, if I were Tara, like before I said, can we be kissing? I'd be like, I just need like a very clear verbal promise that you're never going to mess with my memories again. Can you just say that out loud, please? Yeah. Or like, I am 100% out forever if you ever do that again. Yeah, because that was such a betrayal. And I know the show's addressed that, but it's just like, that's just, uh, I mean, I don't know that I could ever forgive someone for messing with my memories twice. It's not like even one time. I guess it's now been a long time since she's used magic. So she's kind of proven that she can live without using magic. Sure. For me, it's not just the living without magic. It's just the like, you betrayed me hard twice, like in unforgivable ways. I feel like people aren't going to read it this way, but personally, I feel like what she did to Tara is way worse than Xander leaving Anya at the altar. Xander leaving Anya at the altar is awful and horrible, but, like, it's not a violation of her mind. Yeah, yeah. Like, that that's different. Like, Xander's like, I'm hurting you, but, like, you can understand what's happening and you can be mad about it, but, like, Willow's treating Anya like a little slave she could just manipulate like a puppet. Like, oh, I, I don't want you to have those memories. Let me just remove them. I don't want you to be mad at me, so I'm just going to do a spell so you're not. Like, that's... You, like, wouldn't be able to trust your relationship. You wouldn't be able to trust your own reality. Yeah. If, you you know, like, every day, like, did something bad happen last night? I don't know. Could, like, drive you insane. Exactly. Again, what Xander did was also shitty. I just, just, I feel like the Willow thing was like, that's huge. But I'm glad they're back together and they worked out their things and they're going to be happy forever. So, Brian, was this a good episode? It was, it was pretty good. I would say it's pretty good. Yeah. There was some fun stuff. The scene with Spike where he's like, you know, I could kill this vampire, you know, if you want. That was funny. But also the scene with Buffy and Spike's grave, like saying, like, I know what you feel is real, like validating Spike's feelings while also being an adult about it. I thought that was all good. There's some dumb stuff. Like the trio is always just a joke, man. They're just this. They suck. I hate them so much. There's really very little screen time with them. Yeah. Maybe like two minutes. Thank goodness. The revelation that Buffy's been sleeping with Spike is, is kind of nice to be happening. Like, we finally have that. But for me, it was all about the Tara and Willow reunion that really makes this episode. I feel like the the show, and maybe this is just Joss, or maybe it's just like a relic of the time. Like, it just treats lesbianism like such a, what's the word I'm looking for? Novelty? Yeah, it's just like, you guys are lesbians, so you must feel this. It's just sort of like, I don't know, does anyone talk that way? I guess at the time, maybe it was like unique or something. I don't know. 
say at the time, probably not as many people, especially in like a small town, knew like an openly gay couple. Right. So it probably, not that it was okay to just like talk about it in such a candid way, but like probably people did. You mean the way that Anya like, was speaking? Yeah, yeah. Just sort of like ignorant? Yeah. So yeah. here's what I assume about your sex life. Yeah, I mean, I guess we've come a long way even since then. It just seems so archaic the way she's speaking about lesbianism. Like my grandpa trying to talk about it. Right. My grandpa who's not against lesbianism but like doesn't understand it at all. I also really like the chemistry between Tara and Willow outside of Tara's classroom at the school. Yeah, that was a cute scene. Sometimes I feel like their chemistry is, uh, they, they have pretty good chemistry, but we don't really get to see the lovey aspect of it as much. But like, I liked that, like flirting, it seemed genuine to me and, and I liked it. Yeah. Spike and Buffy, I like all their scenes in this episode. Things are so complicated with them and they're only going to get more complicated, but it was nice. Their scenes were nice together. Yeah. And the Spike and Anya stuff was kind of nice just for them to like have someone to talk to about it. Yeah. You were kind of saying you didn't necessarily believe their chemistry, but I don't know that it was really actually chemistry. Right. I think it was just sadness, rebound and yeah. drunkenness. And I thought actually Spike was really good in that scene. Yeah. I mean, when I say Spike, I mean James. Yeah. I thought he did a good job conveying his like own sadness, but like actually did seem like he was listening to Anya. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he was just trying to get in her pants necessarily either. No. I think they're just evil people deep down and they let it happen but also there's nothing wrong with what they did no there's not obviously it would hurt their respective love interests if they figured it out but they had no idea they would figure it out and they don't owe their they don't owe their respective love interests anything and in fact like you said spike's literally doing what buffy told him to do yeah all right pretty good episode of buffy season six is a roller coaster okay let's move on to our real favorite show and now for a special segment we like to call Meanwhile on Charmed. Charmed was another popular WB show airing around the same time that neither of us has ever seen. But we're discussing it anyway. Based only on its IMDb summaries. Stacy, what happened on Charmed? Meanwhile on Charmed Season 6, Episode 18, Spin City. Spider demons kidnap Piper, infect Chris, and cause him to mutate into a spider. Oh, wow. That's a lot. This is the episode where Chris learns that birds aren't as great as he thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because they try to fucking murder him. Yeah, he becomes a spider, a small little baby spider. And a bunch of birds are trying to eat him. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking for him, really. It's sad. Yeah. He's like, I stood up for you guys. I don't know if anyone's ever seen the original The Fly. No one has. <laughs> in the original Fly, like, a fly gets a human, like, fucking head. Like, someone finds it trapped in, like, a web, and it's, like, screaming for help while a spider eats it. Oh, shit. And someone, like, kills it with a rock. Like, the main story is, like, the human that now has a fly head, the scientist, but also this fly has a human head screaming for help. And it's, like, very disturbing. And it's, like, a black and white old movie, but that part was, like, super disturbing to me as a kid watching it, of this, like, human in a web screaming for help. This is not the Jeff Goldblum one. No, no, no. The Jeff Goldblum one doesn't have a secondary spider with a human head, but, like, it was really creepy. Anyway, so this is very creepy and triggering for me. Do you think, does Chris have a human head? No, but I was just having flashbacks to that. Yeah, it, it's actually very poorly dubbed. Like, <laughs> it's just a little spider, but, I mean, I don't <laughs> But the spider's mouth does not match up to the words <laughs> at all. I just meant, like, when Buffy tries to do, like, ADR, you could tell it's, like, coming from a different side of the room. It just yeah. never sounds like it's actually coming from the source. 
But the spider kidnaps Piper because he's like, listen, I'm going to eat you later. You seem delish. Spider demons kidnap Piper, just right. to be clear. Not Chris as a spider. Which are just big spiders, but they're yeah. demons. Yeah, birds don't mess with these guys. But what ends up happening is Piper gets free and makes them small, and then the birds come in and just go to town on these demons. But she throws her body over Chris. Yeah. To protect him. Yeah. Being very careful not to crush him. Yes. The birds just go to town on these spider demons, eats them all. They turn Chris back into a human, and everything's fine again. By they, you mean Piper. Piper and her sisters. Yes. Which takes them a while, because they sometimes they accidentally do spells. Sometimes they... They generally don't do very many spells with intention that go correctly. Yeah, it takes a while. They like they turn him into several different uh, items. <laughs> yeah, items, a lamp, a phone. A hula hoop. Yeah, eventually they turn him back into a human. He's briefly a bird, which he actually doesn't like. Yeah, he's like, no, I like to admire these from afar, and I have mixed feelings right now about birds. Yeah, I, I don't know that he's going to be as fond of birds for a while now. It's, we'll see. Maybe he'll focus more on the task at hand. Anyway. This has been Meanwhile Uncharted. Guys, surprise. We also watched Gilmore Girls this week. Oh, I didn't. I missed this one. Well, Brian, do your best to tell us what happened on The Real Paul Anka. So this episode is about Jess. Yeah, I hid it from you. Well, the credits did not. Yeah, I think you Previously on Gilmore did not. <laughs> right. That's pretty good indication that Jess is going to be in it. This episode is about Rory dealing with her feelings as far as uh, Logan cheating on her. And also about Luke having some quality time with his daughter. Yeah. And also some other stuff. Wow. Can't wait to find out what that was. But I think what we need to talk about and need to focus on is how great this opening is. It's so fun. This is such a great opening. So it starts with Lorelai calling Rory to tell her about a dream she had. And while she's narrating this dream, we get, like, a reenactment of the dream with, like, a nice, like, color palette, like, dream filter over it. Yeah, this is a very cinematic, high-budget opening. Yeah. Okay, so in the dream, she's walking Paulinka, you know, her dog, Paulinka, but it isn't her dog. It's the real Paulinka, like the title of the episode. And let's make it clear, it really is the real Paul Inca, the actual singer. He has agreed to be in this episode playing himself, and he's totally game to do it, and he's great. Side note about Paul Inca, I looked him up when he was young. Dude was hot. Yeah. And his, like, sex, he's, like, singing, like, put your head on my shoulder. There's no way women didn't want him constantly. Like, he looks hot. Whew. Does he have a sexy dance? <laughs> well, he's older in this. It's funny when you look back at him when he was younger, because... He's an old man now. I wonder if Sally Struthers was like, yes, put him on my lap. <laughs> Sally Struthers? Is that the name of Babette's actress? Yes, that's the name of Babette's actress. Her <laughs> puppeteer. So throughout the dream, it keeps switching between the dog Paulinka and the real Paulinka. And like every time Rory guesses, like, the dog Paulinka ran into the street, she'd be like, no, the real Paulinka. It's always the one you wouldn't expect to be doing the thing. That's doing yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're surprised throughout which is doing which one. Like, Paul Inca the dog is putting on a show at Luke's apartment, and they've got this really cute setup of him, like, on a table with a microphone in front of him and all these people, like, they're enjoying him, like, they're at a nightclub, like, he's serenading all of them. Meanwhile, downstairs at the diner, the real Paul Inca, the, the actual Paul Inca, is sitting on Babette's lap while she's petting him and calling him a good boy. <laughs> 
and he's just smiling. He loves it. So I love that the actual Paul Inca was like so willing to do all this. It's very funny. And then outside, Paul Inca the dog and Paul Inca the actor like walk towards each other. And then there's a bright light and an explosion. And Lorelai wakes up and she's like, was there any explosions? Did the towns get destroyed? And Roy's like, no. Nah. She's like, all right, well, just a dream then. It was very fun opening. It was just random, and we paid off Paul Inca's name. I liked it a lot. They really put a lot of work into it. Like, yeah, that's the lounge singer setup. There's a lot of like extras and yes, props and stuff. I guess the rest of it really wasn't that complex. It was just a couple people in shots. Right, Paul Inca, the uh, singer, he's just like smiling his way through the whole thing. It was great. Okay, so after the opening, we have Luke heading out to chaperone April's math competition trip. Lorelai is seeing him off, and she brought him a bag with some nice clothes of his inside, insisting that he takes this, and he can have the clothes just in case. Luke's like, I don't need fancy clothes. You know me. I, like, wear one coat, and that's it. And she's like, no, you might need these. Just take them. He's like, fine. Also, it's very clear to us, at least, that she's actually super not cool with the fact that Luke is using Anna's bag, the one that she sent him. It's about as obvious as Anya being a demon. I don't know how Luke doesn't pick up on it. No. Like, she picks it up, and she's like, is this sturdy enough? And she's, like, slamming it down against the counter and seats. And then she, like, accidentally slams it into the door when she's taking it to the car. And I think she's going to be done doing all that. But then he mentions something about Anna again, and then she just, like, throws it over her head into the truck. Like, <laughs> breaking anything inside it that is fragile. It's, like, funny, but, like, she's being so childish. I mean, it's yeah. funny. It's funny. But, like, he, like, explained where he got the bag. I don't know. Lorelai is all about, like, not communicating her feelings to Luke a lot of the time. Luke mentions that he's stopping by Philadelphia on his way to the math competition and that he's going to drop by to see Jess. So I guess we're going to see Jess, which is nice. Caesar, by the way, is losing his shit with anxiety over running the diner without Luke. He's like, I can't do this. I'm just going to ruin it. I need Luke to rub my elbows sometimes. Yeah, he's like, my elbow gets locked up when I'm cooking, and Luke's the only one that knows how to rub it back to normal. And then Lorelai's like, you rub his elbow? <laughs> then Luke, you know, because his masculinity is being threatened, is like, it's fine. It's like a sports injury. You can just, like, rub it as long as it's for sports. It's fine. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. As long as it's, like, for sports. Okay. Kirk also keeps suggesting that, hey, I could work here while you're gone. I could work. I've got my hairnet in my pocket. Looks like, nah, 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 I don't want that. But then when he's outside with Caesar, they notice that he's just like taking orders <laughs> inside. So Caesar goes in there to stop him. This trip looks going on is like, what is it, like 10 days or something? It's a while. Yeah. And it, like the math competition is like day one. That seems like a long trip for one math contest. Yeah. Like I would go on band trips in high school. Yeah. Some years we go on just like a long weekend trip, but every other year we go on like a two week trip, like very far mm-hmm. away. But we'd have like parades and competitions throughout that. It wasn't just like we're going on a two week trip for one thing. Right. I don't know. It seems like a long time for four adults to take care of that many children. Yeah, totally. For one math contest that's not all that far away. Yeah. So Luke meets up with April, and she teaches Luke mnemonic tricks to remember the kids' and adults' names, because there's so many new ones, you know, by saying something that rhymes. Although, usually I thought you are supposed to, like, pick something about them. You know, like, they got a weird tooth, so you'd be like, Toothy Timothy, or, like, the guy with the mole, like, Big Mole Mike. But she's like, yeah, it could be any random thing. Yeah, he goes with, like, rhymes. Yeah. She also makes a Star Trek Grups reference about grown-ups, which was fun, but I'm like, you know Star Trek original series references? I buy that. Yeah, Luke is like, oh yeah, and I couldn't tell if Luke is just like pretending he knows or does know, because he apparently does watch Star Trek, so Mm -hmm. he probably does know. 
One of the names of the kids is the actual last name of the actor that plays Caesar. Oh, really? Yeah. Alvarado. Well, it becomes like a fun running bit to see Luke coming up with mnemonic ways to remember people's names. Like a kid named Freddy. He's like, Freddy, Freddy, Apple Brown Betty. He just keeps saying that every time. Mm-hmm. Luke meets the parents. They tell him, like, curfew is nine, so the kids have to be in bed at nine. And they're like, you don't have to go to bed at nine. He's like, yeah, but I can, right? (laughs) (laughs) It gets funny. Luke likes to go to bed early. So they're on the bus. Luke doesn't enjoy the bus ride, I would say. There's this great shot of all the kids singing, like, some super nerdy science songs about, like, the different elements. It's so fun that they all actually learned it. Like, the actors. Yeah. But there's this great shot of all them singing, and we just see Luke just sitting there like, oh, God, this is, I, what am I doing? Because he's sitting, like, with April, and this bus yeah. is tiny. The seats are compact. Maybe that's just how school buses are. Yeah, I think it is about a right for school bus. But you just see Luke like, uh, this is not my scene. I don't like any of this, sitting there just, like, listening to all of it. He's, like, right in the middle of all the kids. <laughs> yeah. He can't relate to, like, the science aspect or the math aspect, which is so weird since he's into Star Trek. You'd think he would be, like, kind of into science, at least, like, the conceptual stuff. I don't know. Science was, like, my weakest subject, and I don't hate Star Trek. Oh, that's true. Okay. Star Trek is, like, space. It's not about, like, chemistry. But it is about, like, science concepts. Yeah. Like I said, Luke can't really relate to any of these, except then a kid named Freddy, like, mentioned something about the Red Sox, and suddenly he can relate to this kid, and he's in love with this kid. (laughs) Mm-hmm. This is the kid he keeps calling Apple Brown Betty. Later, he talks to this kid, and finally, April takes him aside and is like, hey, BTW, I have, like, a huge crush on this kid. So if you could, like, stop hanging out with me and, like, stop calling him Apple Brown Betty, that would be, like, super cool. You're embarrassing me. Please stop sitting next to me. She says this all nicely, but, like, please stop embarrassing me. Yeah. And I like this scene because it's Luke's first experience being, like, the dad that the daughter is embarrassed by. And it's fun because I feel like he sees that. He's like, oh, yeah, this is like, I think you can tell he's like, this is normal. This is part of being a parent. Like, he doesn't seem offended, I think. Mm-hmm. He seems like confused, but like, not like I said, not offended. I kind of like, he's like, okay, oh, yeah, I'm learning. This is what it's like to be a dad. This is what I've been told it's like to be a dad. He's also processing what it's like to be this girl's age and liking a boy. Yeah. Because he's like, are you old enough to like boys yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to read a book about it. Yeah. And it's fun that he's, like, oblivious to, like, young little girl social politics. Right. He's like, yeah, but you, like, don't even pay attention to Freddie. She's like, yeah, that's because I like him. He's like, oh, okay, sure, sure. But he agrees to stop sitting next to her and stuff, which is nice. Meanwhile, during all of this, Rory is still very upset at Logan for sleeping with his bridesmaids. And she's, she's letting him know, not verbally by, like, actually having a conversation with him, but by being very, very, very passive aggressive all of the time. Mm-hmm. It's the same idea with Laura that's like, you know, everything's cool. And then let me just slam Anna's bag against shit. Yeah. I actually had in my notes when Lorelai was throwing the bag around that she was being whatever the opposite of passive aggressive is. <laughs> Actively aggressive. Yeah. Only I think the difference is Luke is oblivious to that kind of thing and Logan is absolutely observing all of it. Oh, yeah, totally. Besides the fact that Rory is being like very distant and very lukewarm towards Logan and she's clearly avoiding him whenever she can. She comes home late. She stays out for forever. She leaves early in the morning. She's also being like very aggressive, aggressive, not even passive aggressive. Like she makes him miss a class. She also takes a newspaper article away from him, one that he's been working on, did a ton of research for, that he was planning on doing more research for. She takes that away from him and just like finishes it herself using his notes and publishes it without even talking to him about it. 
He finds out when he sees that the article's been published, and he's like, what's going on? And she's like, yeah, I just didn't know if you were going to finish it, so I did it myself. And she, like, pulls rank because she's, like, the editor. And he's obviously super pissed about this. And, like, there's no way she would have done this if she wasn't, like, trying to hurt him. Mm-hmm. She tries to play it off like, I'm the editor, and, like, I wasn't sure if you'd do it. And it was like, nah, he had several days left. You could tell he had done a bunch of work on it. You should have at least had a discussion with him about it. And honestly... Any other person working on the paper, if you had done this, you would have had a discussion with them first before you just stole the story from them. Right. The scene is a little weird, if I'm being totally honest. I don't know that Alexis Bledel, there's a line in particular where she's like, you'll get your byline if that's what this is about. That seemed very poorly acted out. I don't know. It just seemed like, I I don't know. I didn't clock that. I did. It really stuck out to me. I was like, oh, that's an awkward, clunky line I don't believe you would say. Maybe because you know how that line's supposed to be delivered, having been a journalism man. Yes, having been a journalism man. <laughs> uh, real quick, Paris is at the paper. She's writing some stuff, and she's got a bunch of fruit flies. Not important, unless the fruit flies come back. Just thought I'd mention them in case. She's monitoring their sexual habits. Yeah. So Logan leaves the paper super pissed, and he invites his life and death brigade buds over, and they start to plan their final big senior year stunt. When Rory gets home, she sees they're there, and she's clearly annoyed at Logan. I mean, she's probably looking for any excuse to be mad at him right now, but she's clearly mad at him. Like, she corrects him when he mentions that Rory doesn't drink on school night. She's like, actually, sometimes I do. And I'm like, do you, though? I think you're just trying to find anything to be upset about right now. I actually don't think that she's that mad that they're there, like they sort of suggest. I think she's just mad at Logan in general. No, I I agree with you. I think she's just looking for anything to be annoyed about. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is something. This, this scene is pretty funny, actually, because Finn, Finn is like, is it okay that we're here, love? And then Logan responds quickly, like, of course it's okay. And then he's like, Logan, I haven't called you love since that sultry night in Bimini. <laughs> it's just like a quick line, and I'm not doing it justice, but like Finn is very funny. It's like very quick dialogue. Yeah, we found out he slept with a recruiter to get into Yale. <laughs> yeah, he's like not smart. And Rory's like, how'd you get into Yale? I was like, well, I slept with a recruiter. But maybe Robert asked how he got into Yale. Rory says that they're always welcome, but then she asks about the stunt, like, what's this about? And she doesn't really like what she hears, because it sounds super dangerous and very poorly thought out. Like, honestly, their whole thing sounds dumb. They're going to skydive out of a small, shitty plane with inflatable rafts into Central America and then White River raft to a party. Seems like a, a lot of what? And Robert is their topographical math expert. <laughs> he just like keeps adjusting his math. Yeah, Robert is drunk and like seems to not really have a grasp on the math, which may or may not cause them to die. So then Rory gets pissed and she's like, why don't you make extra sure you get the right number there, Robert? Very clearly like barbed. Who's Barb? Barbed. Uh. She's got a lot of issues with the planning and she makes it very clear she isn't happy. And I think I have to side, as much as Rory is, like, looking for a fight right now, I think i got to side with Rory on here. Like, this sounds super dangerous and not thought out. It it seems like they're going to do it in, like, a day or two. Like, maybe get that math right. When the guys leave, Logan is pissed that she, like, quote-unquote, embarrassed him by, you know, explaining how absurdly dangerous this stunt actually sounds. Yeah, I think if things were, like, 100% good with Logan and Rory, she should still have these concerns and voice them. Absolutely. Like, dude, you broke your finger trying to roll some cheese down a hill, and it sounds like you're going <laughs> to die right now. Like, the bungee jumping guy at the last uh, Life and Death Brigade party seemed pretty sus with his skills and, like, maybe was surprised you survived. So I'm not confident in this jump either. And, like, maybe Rory has a point. Then Logan calls her out for her attitude, saying that she hasn't actually forgiven him. She might have said that she did, but she hasn't actually. So he leaves. 
he's pretty like aggressive to her in this scene, but I don't know that he's wrong. No, he's right. Like if she doesn't want to forgive him, then break up with him. It's, exactly, it's shitty of her exactly. to like just keep being shitty to him. Yeah. And pretend everything's fine. Totally. If you say you forgive someone, you have to forgive them. Like, yeah. or just don't. She does have the option of just breaking up with him and leaving him. That's an option. She can do that. Or it's just like, I'm still weird about this. Can we talk about it more and try to work it out? Like, why didn't you tell me you were sleeping with these people? Or why didn't we break up properly? Yeah. You say he's pretty aggressive here. I, I don't know that it's, it's totally warranted. Yeah. She's been also very aggressive. So it didn't stand out to me, honestly, as being crazy. Also, real quickly, about the cheating stuff. Some other people weighed in on this. Rory did get word from Honor that they were broken up. So yes. she knew they were broken up when he cheated. Their breakup was very complicated and weird and bad, and there needed to be more communication there. But she, at Thanksgiving, was aware that Logan thought they were broken up. So knowing that, she should assume that anyone he slept with, at least between Thanksgiving and when they got back together, was fair game. Yeah. With the caveat that that doesn't mean that you couldn't or shouldn't or isn't understandable that you would be upset or hurt that he slept with somebody else. Right. That is fair. She didn't tell him to move on. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Buffy reference if you skip the Buffy part. Yeah. And he did sleep with some soulless creatures. but <laughs> Kind of. Some vipers as he calls them. But like he didn't cheat. I think I think at this point you could say he didn't cheat. It's all a little weird and it's 100% understandable that she's upset and hurt. But he, I don't, I don't think he did cheat. Honestly, now that we've discussed that phone call, we don't know that he didn't sleep with someone sooner than Thanksgiving. But I agree with that. But at least we know that he thought they were broken up. Yeah. So the next day, he's packing up to go on this trip, and uh, Rory doesn't seem too interested or care that much about it. He's just like, I'm gonna be gone. I'm not gonna have cell phone for a couple of days. She's like, Okay, bye. That scene's literally like 10 seconds. And it's the shortest. Else. Like, yeah, I was like writing notes in the previous scene and this whole scene happened and I had to go back. Then after he leaves shortly after that, she gets a letter in the mail. It's an invite from Jess for an art exhibit. Okay, so while all this is happening, Lorelai has her own stuff going on. At the inn, Lorelai is setting up two guests to ride the horses. Guys, we're using the horses. People like them. We're back to the horses because I feel like we just don't talk about them and they're like a crazy money investment. But she's setting up two people for the horses, this man and this woman. They come up way more often than I expected. Yeah. Then Mrs. Kim comes in and sees that this couple is going to go ride the horses. And she very angrily comes up to Lorelai and says, you let women ride horses? <laughs> so funny. So funny. And then she looks so pissed at Lorelai when she says yes. And then Lorelai, like, does this, like, looks down like she's been chastised and, like, is ashamed. It's like an act, I think, for Mrs. Yeah, Kim. But she's it's just, like, like oh, pretending yeah. she feels bad. Mm, I have shame for what I've done. And then before Mrs. Kim leaves, she says, like, do the women at least ride side saddle? <laughs> Lorelai's like, yes, every one of them. <laughs> It reminded me of the scene when Kirk was telling her those bath stickies. <laughs> she yeah, kind of like lied and said I she falls down yeah, all every the time, time, even when I'm constantly. not in the tub. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Is the idea because like the movement of the horse could like get a woman aroused or turned on or maybe because that's like a thing I've heard. I don't know how accurate that is, but I guess I've never had a problem with horse riding morally. But I guess a woman like spreading her legs and putting this giant muscle between her legs is maybe somehow. Seen as sexual. Have you ridden a horse before? No. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I've heard about women on motorcycles. It's like a vibrating thing, right? You know, down there. 
I don't know. Horse girls, hit us up. Yeah, let us know. I, I'm ta- I have no idea. I feel like Anya talking to lesbians. I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> You've ridden a horse, though? You don't have a vagina. Uh, yes to the first part, and yes to the second part. <laughs> but anyway, that was just, like, super, super funny. So Mrs. Kim is there because Lane's wedding's coming up, and Mrs. Kim wants Lane to wear her wedding dress. But Lane's a little smaller, so she wants Lorelai to please take it in and tailor it to Lane's size. Or I was like, cool, yeah, I'll do anything for Lane. Uh, I'll invite her over to like get her measurements. And Mrs. Kim's like, no, you don't need them. Here's her height and her arm length. That's all you need. Which, like, <laughs> maybe you need more than that? Yeah, you don't need her bust or her hips or waist or anything. We do find out later why you maybe don't need any of that information. <laughs> Mrs. Kim gives her the dress, but it's inside one of those like dress bags with a zipper. And Laura was like, wow, they've really changed things as far as how things look. Yeah, because she says, oh, you wore a khaki dress with a zipper down the middle. <laughs> What's so funny is that, honestly, this does not that much crazier than the dress. The bag is maybe hotter than the dress, yeah. Yeah, Lorelai unzipped the bag to look at the dress after Mrs. Kim leaves, and she just gasps. (laughs) It's like, (gasps) and we don't see the dress. But then later, Lane runs Lorelai down in the street and is like begging her, begging her to find a way to ruin this dress. It's super ugly. She doesn't want to wear it. Please, like, spill on it. Like, drop it. Cut it. Rip it. Just please burn the dress. Just ruin the dress. She even, like, tries to bribe Lorelai with a bunch of tens. She's like, (laughs) it's all about the Hamiltons. She's like, it has pants. (laughs) Lorelai's just like, no. She's like, leave an iron on it, anything. But then Lorelai sees her parents' reflection in a store window, and she gets distracted. Also very funny, because Lane, like, tries to get her attention again. She's, like, snapping like like you would a cat. She's, like, focus, focus, focus. Mm -hmm. It's all very funny. It was also funny. Lane asked if she's seen it, and Lorelai's, like, parts of it. He's, like, yeah, the human eyeball's not made to take it all in at once. (laughs) So Lorelai wants to track down her parents, and she knows that Kirk is showing them houses. So she goes to Kirk, and we have another very, very, very funny scene. All of this is great. Kirk is trying to sell a, like, nightmare house. It's basically Buffy and Spike's fuck house. Yeah, it probably is. This this house is just so dilapidated and bad. As soon as Lorelai walks in, Kirk yells, mask, mask, mask. She's got to put a mask on because there's, like, dangerous fumes and gases in the air that are leaking out. She does not. And the rest no. of the series is about Lorelai's cognitive decline. <laughs> yeah, she's got COPD after this. In my head, the gases are affecting your lungs and throat. Yeah. It's both. The building is like literally still falling down around them. Something just like falls on the ground. That's why I said it's like Buffy and Spike's house. Yeah. And there was like a murder-suicide there recently and like a Wicca convention. But what's funny is that Kirk just every time he says like these horrible things about it, he goes, it's nothing we can't work with. (laughs) He says that a few times. There's like a bat that flies by. He's like, yeah, we got bats, but they'll die when you gas for the cockroaches. And if they don't die, they'll be dazed. Then you can just bash in their heads with a bat. It's nothing we can't work with. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's like yeah, and this you know this house has great bones uh literally it's on top of an ancient indian burial ground <laughs> very very funny stuff very funny kirk blabs where her parents are at and then she's like all right i'm leaving and then she goes and intercepts her parents he does that again like he did in the last episode where he says it's confidential <laughs> just yeah, then tells her tells her it's a rat in the corner yeah as she's leaving he's like don't slam the door it scares the bat <laughs> So Lorelai finds her parents and intercepts them on the sidewalk. They're like, oh, hey, what's up? And they have to lie that they're antique shopping because, you know, they don't want her to know that they're moving into Stars Hollow. 
so they're just kind of playing along with Lorelai. Lorelai's like, let me take you antique shopping. And they're like, yeah, okay, great. Super cool. They say they have an appointments only antique meeting and they're only yeah. expecting two. <laughs> Super <laughs> funny. They keep improvising. Also, when she bumps into them, it's so funny. They play like the sneaky music mm-hmm. and she sort of just like awkwardly cross paths with them. Yeah. So then she's like, oh, come with me. I'll take you antiquing. And then like, and now it's just Lorelai talking about how bad Stars Hollow is to try to persuade them not to move there. All of this is super funny. She like holds her breath because of the sewer fumes and the meth fumes and later the garbage smells. <laughs> There's a garbage smell part. She's like, oh, the garbage smell. And she's like, oh, I didn't get it. She's like, well, the wind shifted right after I smelled it. <laughs> she says the mayor is known as Gropey McGee. McGropey McGee. Keep that in mind. She also says the economy's collapsing. She then takes in the doses and she's just walking around bad mouthing the store. She's like, they never have anything. It's all bad. And then Dosi hears it. You just see him in the background like, what? You see him staring. So funny. And then he comes up and he's like, you can't besmirch me. It's against the law to do it in my own establishment. I'm the mayor. And then Richard's like, you're Gropey McGee? <laughs> yeah, he says it's illegal to like disparage any part of Stars Hollow. While in Stars Hollow? Yeah. Yeah. What? But also, when did he become the mayor? Yeah, what? There was an election to have him ousted as town selectman. Yeah, which he was ousted, and then the show was like, yeah, whatever, that didn't happen. He's he's town alderman again. When the show started, there was an old man that was the mayor, and then we like never see him again. That's right. But they've never called Taylor the mayor. I don't know if that was like a mistake or if that's what we're calling him from here on out. Yeah, I don't know. Emily then, while they're in the store, is like, oh, uh, I just have to go grab something from the car. And she's looking at her watch. It's clear that she's, like, going to one of these house showings. At least I think. The next part doesn't make any sense timeline-wise. So she leaves. Then later we cut to Richard and Lorelai eventually ending up at Luke's diner. She says, like, oh, you called mom and she's going to meet us here. So Emily's been gone for an indeterminate amount of time. Supposedly she was going to the car. But we find out she's been at Luke's for at least half an hour. Yeah, so she's sitting there playing cards with some rando girl with pigtails that kind of looks like April. Richard now suddenly has to go for some reason. He doesn't explain why. He's just like, do they have ham here? <laughs> yeah, do they have ham here? Order me this ham sandwich. I gotta go. And then he just leaves. Emily's playing cards with this cute girl. And this is super funny. Emily's been like super nice and like friendly playing go fish with this girl and like calling her smart. But then Lorelai says that it isn't April. And Emily like changes on a dime and gets so disgusted with this little girl. Like, she's Spike. She's like, and here I was bonding with it. Yeah, she says, here I was bonding with it. It. Right in front of the girl, too. Just like Xander called Spike a thing. Yeah. She says she's been playing cards with her for 30 minutes. That's what, like, 30 minutes? Wait, so you went to a house viewing, and then you came here for 30 minutes? What were Lorelai and Richard doing? They weren't worried about Emily? I guess talking about the town laws with Groby McGee. Yeah, or like going to another antique shop. I, if I'm a Lorelai, I'd be like, where the hell's mom? Like, it's been enough time to have seen a house. I know you're here for a house. Where is she now? It's been an extra half hour. Whatever. She also says about the girl that it told me it was someone's daughter here. What does that mean? What did the girl say exactly? She just said, I'm someone's daughter? Like, those words came out of her mouth? Like, I'm trying to think of what the confusion could have been. Yeah, who knows? Like, did Emily ask her, is your dad around or something like that, maybe? I I, I don't know. I feel like it didn't really make sense that she got confused about this. it didn't make sense. Lorelai explains to Emily her and Luke's arrangement, you know, that she's going to stay out of this whole April thing for a while. And Emily explains that that's not a great idea. 
Lorelai needs to get to know April because she's part of Luke's family. She's blood, and she's going to be part of Luke's life forever. She's got to embrace her role in that. And then she also says that she can't believe Luke is letting you get away with this, which is weird because it's like, does she think this is Lorelai's decision? It's like Luke's decision. Hmm. Emily's right? Yeah, I think Emily's right. This whole situation is a little weird. I don't know how I feel about it because, like I said, on the one hand, I get why I feel like if she was just Luke's girlfriend, I could see a situation where, like, Anna would be like, you know, maybe don't introduce her to your girlfriend. I don't want her to get, like, a fake mom who just vanishes out of her life suddenly. Yeah. How am I going to know you're not going to, like, run off like you have every other man you've been in love with? But in the other token, she is engaged to Luke. It's not like it's just Luke's girlfriend because it's like, well, there's a really good chance you're going to stay in April's life. Lorelai also explains this to her mom in a way that's like, yeah, this was our decision. But you can tell by the way she's acting that it was Luke's decision. Yeah. But I don't know that Emily picks up on that. Yeah. Emily leaves and yells at Caesar for not telling her it wasn't Luke's daughter. Like, Caesar had any idea what was happening at all. It was funny. He's like, I hate customers. Meanwhile, let's get to the juice, to the meat of this episode, the part we're all here for, okay? The reason we all tuned into this little episode of the Gilmore Girls. Meanwhile, in Philadelphia, we get to see brand new and improved Philly Jess. <laughs> Philly cheese Jess. Yeah, okay. So it seems like Jess has finally got his shit all together. As we teased earlier this season, he's sophisticated now. I mean, he wears a blazer now, guys. Jess is wearing a blazer. He's got friends. He doesn't seem angry. He's got a job. What is, who is this man? He's got a zine. He's got a zine. You guys remember zines? No. Zines are like self-published little magazines, very cheaply made. They're usually made like on like a copy machine. I remember a guy showing me his zine, and I was like, what the hell is this? Luke explains to Lorelai in the beginning that Jess makes zines. I'm like, Luke, you don't know what that is. You would never use that word. I think he would use the word if Jess told it to him, and he'd just repeat it. Yeah, I guess. But he said it, like, confidently. But he's having, I don't really know what this event is. It's like an art exhibit, but there's also, like, poetry reading. It's an open house for their venue, which is a publishing company, but they also occasionally will have events like this. Art exhibits, poetry readings. Right. Yeah. It's like a venue. This is also where he lives. They probably just like rent out the space. I don't know. He says they don't charge the art people though. Well, he said he doesn't rip them off. So they might charge him, but like very minimal. Yeah. I suppose it's a way to just like promote their publishing company and their own books and stuff too though. Yeah. But it's just, it's just a house. I mean, there's like desks and stuff around. It's cool. Yeah, it is cool. It's cool. It's kind of like the black, white and red movie theater. That's just like a house, but it's sure. Yeah. Yeah. And starts off venue as well. Luke and April are there. And Luke is wearing those nice just-in-case clothes that Lorelai made him take. Oh, I didn't catch that. Well, he doesn't say that, but he's wearing nice clothes. And, like, he told Lorelai, I don't need nice clothes. And he's wearing nice clothes. So, obviously, he put them on. Which is kind of annoying because it's like, you knew you were going to this. I don't understand why you were like, no, Lorelai, I don't need that when you're clearly dressed up. Whatever. Luke introduces Jess to April. The two don't really talk that much. (laughs) Jess is sort of like, hello. Yeah, that's it. She's like, yeah, the men men in this family don't really – communicate very much he's like yeah sorry he's probably just looking at her like you know you look like a cheap knockoff of the girl that was going to be in my spinoff so i'm mad at you your mom is my stepmom yeah there's <laughs> a lot going on that's confusing for me right now and then wouldn't you know it rory shows up rory meets april and she's like you got a nice face and rory's like you do too neither rory nor luke really know how to like handle them meeting because like i feel like 
organically he wouldn't want Rory to meet April for a while because, you know, he's keeping Lorelai out of this. Yeah, he really buries the lead that Rory is Lorelai's daughter. That's like the last thing he says. Yeah, he calls her an old friend, which is hilarious since like Rory's like half his age, if not even younger than that. And then he explains their actual relationship eventually. It's like just word salad eventually. It's like, yeah, my fiance's daughter. I also love there's like a running bit that Luke doesn't really understand this place at all. And when Rory approaches, he's looking at some abstract art. <laughs> he guesses to Jess that it's a bicycle. <laughs> Jess, Jess is like, nah. No. Jess then saves Luke by pulling him aside and giving him a copy of his book and also a check for all the money he owes him. And Luke's like, you know, you don't have to pay me back. Jess is like, no. Please take it. And this moment is great. This moment made this episode for me because Luke is like very proud of Jess now. He's like, you got your life together. And he like admits, like you said, like, you know, I don't really get any of this, but like, I'm not saying that it isn't good. It's just, I'm like an outdoors camping guy, simple guy. This isn't my scene, but I can tell that you're doing well. And I like it. I, I like, I like it for a lot of reasons. I like that Luke is like, this isn't my thing, but I can tell that you got your life together. And I'm proud of you for that. Yeah. He doesn't say all that, but it's, it's in the subtext. And then the two hug and it's. It's nice. Yeah, you were bummed that you didn't get this scene in the last episode where Jess showed up. And I was like, eh, I think I think you will. Right. And I like it because so much of the show is about the relationship between a mother and daughter, which is so wonderful and great. But I like this little like dad son dynamic. I know that's not their relationship, but like in a way it is. So I, I like that a lot. Then Luke and April leave, but not before he mentions that April should go hang out with her boyfriend. And he, she's like, it's not my boyfriend. When Luke and Jess return to April and Rory, you can hear April like venting to Rory about all the problems with Luke <laughs> and the guy she likes. Yeah. Uh, so they leave. And then Jess says to Rory like, hey, uh, did you come alone? And she's like, yes, I'm sending you signals. We skip ahead to after the poetry reading, which apparently was not good. Yeah. Luke has April if it was good. And she's like, eh. <laughs> Everybody leaves and goes to a bar, and it's just Rory and Jess hanging out alone, talking about his book, talking about her editorship, how she loves it, even though it's a lot of work. And Jess is sitting, like, real, real, real close to her. Oh, there's chemistry. Yo, yeah, there's chemistry. A lot of it. So much chemistry that April almost should come back and sing a song about it. Whoa, that was good. (laughs) They're talking. They're catching up. And catching up quickly turns into kisses. And then Rory pulls away and gets up. And she starts monologuing kind of to herself about how she can't even cheat on him, a.k.a. Logan, the way he cheated on her. And then Jess puts this all together that she's still with that Logan guy and she's here to sort of like get even or settle a score. He's all like, hey, this isn't fair to me. Like, you put me in a weird situation. Like, you told me you were here alone. And that's totally fair. She was sending him signals that she's she's alone. I don't know. That kiss might have been pretty quick, but... She was sending him signals that she's interested. I mean, I think she wanted to hook up with him, but she couldn't do it. Jess is Spike? Yeah, I guess in a way. Yeah, this scene does mirror the Buffy scene a lot, right? Because she essentially gets up and is like, I'm sorry, I led you on. I can't do this. Yeah, you're like, you don't deserve this. Yeah. And when she apologizes, he says, ah, it is what it is, you, me. Like, it's what the writers want for us. They want me as a back burner relationship, <laughs> longing situation that we can exploit once or twice a season. We're the will they, won't they situation. I'll always be here. It did feel that way. Yeah. As she's leaving, he says, you know, you can tell Logan we did something, if that helps. You're right, though. Like, I, I don't I don't dislike Logan. I think they do have chemistry. But also, Rory and Jess really had chemistry here. So it did feel like Rory was saying, Amy won't let me love you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to love Logan. I don't know why, but I also don't hate her with Logan. So don't at me, team anybody. I don't think I have a team. 
it's I'm so torn. I mean, I feel like I hated Jess a lot, but I feel like the show went out of its way to sort of redeem Jess. The show was like, yeah, he was a bad kid, but like kids are bad and he was in a bad emotional situation and he is starting to redeem himself. Like he did a lot of fucked up stuff, but he's redeeming himself, which is funny because like similar with Spike, except Spike did like really, really bad stuff. (laughs) Spike didn't just like steal some lawn ornaments. Spike killed people. To be fair, that happened in two episodes and you didn't even like Jess that much in the last episode we saw him in. Like he had started to redeem himself. He like got in this job. No, he for the wedding. He came back for the wedding. I feel like that was the start of redemption for Jess. Yeah, but then at the end of that one, he like goes to Rory's dorm and like yells at her to run away with him. I agree with you. But I think that was just like four steps forward, two steps back. You know, like I felt that scene was like Jess isn't being rational, but it was an expression of how he like loves Rory. It wasn't an expression of him being evil or I mean, there was some selfishness to it. You can't deny that. But I think he really was like, we will be happy if we leave. Yeah. And it was he was wrong and I think he knows he was wrong, but not wrong like he was doing something evil or bad. It was just he, it didn't work out. Yeah, he just like knew he felt a certain way, but kind of like Luke isn't great at communicating. So he's like, I'll just yell it at her. Yeah, again, not cool, but like understandable. And similar with Logan, like I feel like Logan has been more consistently better, but like he's been shitty too and manipulative, especially when they first started dating. Anyway, I'm team Jess reluctantly got converted. I don't know what happened. It's just the show was like, you want to like Jess Bryant. I was like, fine, I'm going to like you. You're hopping on a team. I'm team Jess. I'm fine with Logan though. I don't, I don't hate Logan, but like ultimately she should be with Jess because he's got the brain. Like Logan's smart, but like Jess, there's a chemistry there that I don't feel with Logan. Yeah, I, I need something a bit more than Rory just being like, I love Logan, I don't know why. I'm fine with that, but I think there needs to be like, I don't know, something more. Like, why does she love Logan more than Jess? Why is she willing to stay with him when she's obviously kind of in love with Jess too? Because Logan's so comfortable because she's rich and could just like solve problems for her on a daily basis with his money. Maybe. I mean, I think that's I don't probably- think she cares about that that much. Well, you say she doesn't care and I would say that she doesn't consciously care. But like when she was living with Paris, it was very easy for her to just go back to Logan's luxury apartment. Well, we've got a little more than a season left. Let's see how this plays out, Brian. One thing I wanted to say, too, about them, I think it's kind of interesting and important. Like, Logan is smart, but is sort of like, she's like very type A. She's like very, you know, like anal. And Logan is sort of like, he likes to play. He likes to have a good time. And it's like, he's like, maybe that's good for Rory. Like, you're too much of a workaholic. Make sure you fit some play in there. And I'm going to be the one that keeps suggesting that. To a fault, I would say, for Logan. But like, it works a little bit with Rory because he's like pulling her out of that shell a little bit. I think that's exactly it. I think... Rory and Jess would just, like, become recluses that just, like, stay home in their cozy apartment and read. And there's nothing wrong with that. What I was thinking, though, about Jess is that in a different way, he does the similar thing for her. Where he's like, I am not super structured. So, like, I'm going to pull you out of that. They both like to read, but he's going to pull her out of that, like, workaholic shell a little bit to do more artistic, creative things. I don't think Logan pushes her for that. Interesting. I think Jess would push her in, like, artistic and creative ways that Logan wouldn't do. Really? Yeah. I mean, the fact that he wrote a book, like, I I just feel like he's like, I'm a creative muse. And like, maybe I could help spur you with my creativity. Where Logan isn't going to be like, let me spur you through creativity. He's gonna be like, let's go to bars and get drunk. Yeah. Logan's MO is like, I'm gonna go get drunk. We should get drunk. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that necessarily. But like, I that's why I like Jess. Sorry, guys, we talked about it for too long. Let's move on. No, they love it. They love it. I do think Logan has some growing to do potentially, though. 
And if she ends up with Logan, that's fine. I, there's nothing wrong. It's just, it's just my feelings right now about where the show's at, where these characters are at. And I admit that they started with Jess, and I, for the longest time, didn't like him. And maybe it's a betrayal of my past self to say that now I've been won over. But I've been won over. I've been won over. I'll say I also do, like, whether you like Logan or not, I think it's interesting for the show to explore the money side of Rory. To, yes. like, put that conflict in with her and Lorelai. Because Lorelai, like, pulled her out of that world. And Logan is sucking her back in. And I think that's, whether you like Logan or not, that's interesting to explore. Yeah. Okay. okay. Back to the show. It is kind of shitty for Rory to do this to Jess. It is. But in the same token, he has hurt her emotionally. So I feel like part of him, even though he doesn't say that, I think part of him is like, you know what? I have done the same kind of shit to you. She maybe did go there to like try to end things with Logan, though. But that's she went still there to shitty at least to, Jess. To, to, to. I think she went to hook up with Jess to throw in Logan's face. Yeah. Or maybe break up with Logan. But that's kind of shitty because then she's cheating on Logan. She did kind of cheat. On, I mean, Jess kissed her and she stopped it. So. I, but I mean, I think she was there to do that. <laughs> she yes. Was, Yes, which is not cool to Jess or Logan. Okay, so the episode ends with uh, two things. We have two very short scenes. The first one is Luke on the bus chaperoning to the next location, and April is just complaining about her helicopter dad, and Luke's just kind of taking it. Well, this is significant. I don't know if you caught it. Maybe not. So there's kind of a stupid scene early in the episode where April gets on the bus and Luke's talking to the parents, and she's like, hey, my friends want to know who you are. And he's like, tell them. She's like, this is Luke. In this scene, she calls him her dad to her friends. She doesn't say, like, hey, dad. She still calls him Luke, but she's like, my dad's so much sometimes. So he, like, smirks at himself a little bit because she's now referring to him as her dad. You know what? I didn't catch that. I'm so glad you pointed that out. I I mean, I caught that she called him a dad, but I didn't catch that that contrasted with how she introduced him earlier. I think that's why we have that stupid little scene earlier. Okay. Okay. I assumed she said that's Luke and then, then got in the bus and was like, he's my dad. That I don't know. But I see what you're saying. Okay. I also just love the opening of the scene. The parents are just like very blandly talking about apple and banana stops. (laughs) Things they can do with the kids. Luke's just, I don't know, so bored but participating. Yeah. Then we get the final scene, which is super fun. It's all set to music, like Buffy, lyric to music, with Lorelai drinking coffee and considering what to do with Lane's wedding dress. We get to see it, and it is absurdly ugly. Like, when I saw it, I literally said out loud, like, oh, my God. <laughs> she so, lifts it up a little bit. You see the pants. It's so huge and bulky and gross. And when she looks underneath it, it, it reminded me, I don't know why, it reminded me of, like, an Elvis impersonator, like, jumpsuit underneath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it just looks so awful. And she's, like, it's just so fun watching her sip her coffee and just, like, trying to decide what to do. And then she does the right thing and just, like, flings her coffee all over <laughs> So she can ruin it for Lane and get her a better dress. Do you think there was anything more to this? Like, do you think this is symbolic of, like, her relationship with Luke? Because she's also, like, kind of in a weird spot with her wedding. I don't know. I don't know that there is. But I I wondered, since she had that conversation with Emily. I don't feel like there is. I think this is just, like, a fun little button for us. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. Could be wrong. But I don't think so. All right. That's the episode. Stacey, was it a good episode? I think it was. Yeah. Everything with Lorelai and Lane was very funny. Yes. With Lorelai and her parents and Kirk mm-hmm. and all that as well. Nothing we can't work with. Rory's behavior is not great in this episode. Pretty much everything Rory's doing isn't good. But, I mean, that's how people is sometimes. Yeah. And I, I think all the scenes that she was in were compelling. They're just showing us the space she's in, which is bad. But I, if you're an anti-Rory person, this is a, a good piece of evidence that she can be kind of shitty. 
But the people are shitty, though. I feel yeah. like what she did wasn't, like, insane. Like, wasn't good, and it's something she should feel bad about. But, like, it's not going to ruin anyone's life. And I feel like she's got reason to be upset. But yes. she should be communicating her feelings better. But Absolutely. Just like her mom, she's doing it through throwing suitcases through the air. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's just like a lot of really fun moments in this episode. And I think overall it was fun to watch. Yeah. And like the Jess and Luke stuff is great. That's kind of come full circle. God, Mrs. Kim's line's so funny. You let women ride horses? <laughs> <laughs> I will say I think there was a missed opportunity for another Emily, Mrs. Kim scene. Because we've only ever had that once. And oh, I think yeah. that could have easily have happened. They were going At the antique game. shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're just, that would be such a fun dynamic to see those characters together more. And Yeah. I don't know that we ever see it again. Oh. I don't know if that's true, but I mean, Emily's not in Stars Hollow a ton. Well, well shortly be. she may be. It looks like they're moving in. Yeah, that's what I said. I'm not sure. There might there might be more. Um. So yeah, I would say it was good. So, Brian, which episode do you think was better? Gilmore Girls. Oh yeah? Why is that? I just had more funny stuff in it. And we got to see Jess, which was nice. And we had that scene with Luke, which spoke to me. And we had some. We had a couple of sweet moments. The Jess-Luke moment. Luke bonding with his daughter. Also, just the dress thing was really funny. And the Kirk scene was really funny. And the Mrs. Kim scenes were really funny. I know, guys, I'm doing a lot of Gilmore this season. But, like, Buffy season six is not my favorite. But I am interested to see who gets the votes coming up in the next couple episodes. I think I'm going to go Gilmore as well. It's close. Because mm-hmm. I think this was a good Buffy the scene with Spike and Buffy was great. Where yes. The two scenes with Spike and Buffy were great. Yeah, I love the the last scene where they're all having the confrontation in the street. The three scenes with Spike and Buffy are great. And yeah, yeah, there's three. And there's some funny stuff. Like Dawn being one and a half was very funny. But I think overall Gilmore was just like a bit more of a pleasant watch this week. A lot of this episode was the Xander fallout, which is just kind of a bummer. And then also the Spike and Anya scene, which I didn't hate, but a lot of it was that. And you kind of knew where it was going. Yeah. It wasn't like shocking once they started putting the pieces in motion. I liked it, but I, I do maybe think Gilmore overall was just a little more enjoyable. Jess being there was the big thing. The wedding dress stuff in Mrs. Cam was so funny. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think Gilmore this time, but it's close for me. Gilmore's doing great this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like I voted for them quite a few times. You are voting for Gilmore more, for sure. I'm maybe a little closer. I still like Buffy, and ugh, we have so much more to talk about. It's, it's so tough on this podcast audience where I can't really say stuff because Stacey hasn't seen it. I'm trying to avoid spoilers. The show is going to have some interesting things happen very, very, very soon. Some possibly character-changing situations. Whoa. Like Giles will come back? Giles is never coming back. He's coming back. They keep making his previously shorter and shorter. He just starts the episodes by saying, pruh, now. Pruh. <laughs> like, don't, don't let them remember him. They want him back. Well, he's not in the next episode. I will promise you that. Speaking of which, if you want to watch along next week, we'll be watching Gilmore Girls Season 6, Episode 19, I Get a Sidekick Out of You. As well as Buff the Vampire Slayer Season 6, Episode 19, Seeing Red. In the meantime, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episodes discussed in this podcast. Do you think the show has redeemed Jess enough or not? What exactly does Xander want to happen with him and Anya? Does this episode make you angry at Rory, or are you on Rory's side? When did Taylor become the mayor? Should Buffy be taking Dawn on patrols? Is she being too protective, or is she being reasonable? Is horse riding pleasurable? (laughs) Should women be doing it at all? Let us know. You can reach out by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Gilmore Slayer, where we post interactive questions, comedy sketches based on each episode, and more. Or send us an email at brianandstacyreviews at gmail.com. That's Brian with a Y and Stacy with an E-Y. 
from our bonus content, find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Brian and Stacey, where we post weekly video recaps of the show Angel, host monthly live stream watch parties of Buffy and Gilmore Girls, post monthly podcast outtakes, and share early extended episode previews. That's a lot to say. But you did it. And shout out to our new Patreon subscribers, Lori and Kelsey LS. Thank you. For more non-podcast content, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Brian and Stacy. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so by making a donation of your choosing via the link found at the bottom of our episode descriptions or in our social media bios. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll give you a shout-out on an upcoming podcast. Let's go to Philadelphia to see what happens. Why do you always want to go to Philadelphia? I've never been, and it seems like a good time. All right, I'm going with you. Okay. Bye.